Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Black woman. Beautiful. Powerful. Resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation. A talk, especially an informal one, between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So we created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How's your week been? Listen, my week has been great. All 24 has been great. Let me start there. The whole year has been great because you know why? This week has been amazing. I'm just going to throw it out there. Listen, I got my voice back just about. I still got a little bit of raspiness, but you know, I just call it my sexy rasp. And life is just wonderful. But Johnny, ask me why my life is so wonderful right now. Why is it so wonderful right now? I opened Mohila and every one of my student loans were forgiven this week. All of them. All of them, Janine, in the last week were forgiven. Okay, now I've been faithfully. Why y'all come for me? Because people are like Biden should be forgiven loans, right? Forgiven loans. Let me tell you, I have paid back the hundred and eighty thousand dollars that I took out in student loans for medical school and some. But the way capitalized interest works, right? It's not like you go and take out a loan on a car or you have a loan on your mortgage, which charges you an annual interest rate. Oh no. So what they do for student loans, for all you people that got your student loans before 2009. Now I finished med school in 2009. That was the first year they did not let you defer. So you could defer through your training without having interest added on, right? This is important, right? Because when we're in training, you're making pennies compared to the hundred plus hours you are working. And when you break the hours down, it is literally something like between nine and $12 an hour is what these medical residents are making if you break the hours down. Okay. No joke. So you put that and you tell somebody, Hey, you got to start paying back $3,000 a month. A lot of people are not going to be able to afford to do that. So what happens? We then forbear which means that you don't have to pay it, but your interest is going to accrue. And not only is your annual interest going to accrue, the interest is capitalized quarterly. So it means that every quarter you're going to be assessed the interest rate that you're charged on top of the total amount of your principal balance 
plus the amount of interest that's accrued. So you're paying interest on top of the interest and principal balance. And they do that quarterly, four times a year, right? I was explaining this to someone and they said they think that should be illegal. It should be because they don't do this for mortgages or anything else, right? And that's why if you are like me, who does four more years of, of residency training in OBGYN, and then you you defer or forbear, excuse me, three more years, that's a seven, total of seven years that your interest has accrued and accumulated and been capitalized with interest on top of interest, being charged interest on top of the interest that has accrued quarterly. Instead of owing 180000 when you finish seven years later, you owe close to 300 okay? That is how student loan interest works. And then as a physician, you feel like I should be able, I'm going to be able to pay it back. And, and, and luckily, I have an income where I can be paying three and $4,000 a month back, but that means that it may leave me very cash-strapped otherwise. So when people think, oh, you make hundreds of thousands a year, but I'm like, well, 100000 is going to my student loans, right? And then you don't, you take out the interest that you pay to the government because they don't care how much you pay in student loans. You still got to pay taxes on top of the money that you pay towards student loans, okay? And then your interest is getting taxed on top of that for said student loans. So instead of you being able to say, you know, over 10 years, I'm just going to pay these off, it's really over the course of 20 or 25 years. It's like a ridiculous mortgage that you are paying Okay, when I finished residency, the amount that I was paying in student loans was $700 more than my mortgage. Let it sink in. So I was literally paying more in student loan payments than my mortgage. Because people think, oh, if you're a doctor, you make a good income. I do, but I have to make a good income. Otherwise, I would not be able to afford to pay my student loans off. Okay, so people are like, well, I paid off all my student loans by myself. I didn't need no forgiveness. Well, did you have $180,000 worth of student loans? No. Did you have interest that worked? No. And then they tell you after 10 years, it'll be forgiven if you work for a 501c3 organization. That's what people were banking on, right? But what they did before the Biden administration is once you hit the 10-month mark, right, you had to turn in your employment verification form where your employer had to sign off on said form and send it in. You couldn't miss any payments, but if your employer did not turn it in in that two-month period, that payment that you still had to pay did not count in the 120 payments. But you had to pay it or you were out of the program, right? So then you're calling and trying to find, figure it out. There's only certain people that can sign for this stuff. You're wondering why so Joe Blow, who's in the hospital, don't have nobody else signing for them. They got 60 days to turn it in. They can't turn it in too early. It has to be in that window. So now you've made a $3,000 payment. That don't even count towards your 120 payments. So then what happens? You're someone like me that's been, that's had your 120 payments. Okay. But your loans are not forgiven because Oh, sorry, you had to start over because you let these couple of months lapse. But you got to pay it or either you out of the pay, repayment program, you got to go back to standard repayment. So what Biden did was go through and say, you know what, this is not fair. So for people that were eligible to pay for the last 10 years and who started their repayment, let us go back and see who 
we can say this person was in repayment, but we got these couple months that it took us longer to process the paperwork or took her employer longer to verify the paperwork and let's count that payment. So after they did that, I was over my payments by a far amount. And then they refunded me my last payment of December because that's when I um, made my $3,187 payment, Janine. And then I got home and I had a check on the counter. But I ain't gonna even tell you how much of overpayment of these student loans. Girl, I got home at 4.54. I looked at that check. I said, check, can this be real? Let me get in the car and go to the bank. Girl, I drove to the bank, walked in that bank at 4.59 and said, can I deposit this? Is this real? And she said, Department of Treasury, it is real. Where would you like it? I don't care. I have my app. I can divide it however where you had to put it because I know you closed this, this thing down in a minute. Put it wherever, right? Put it somewhere. I can move it around in my app. She said, okay, do you need a print out of your balance? Nope, I got my app open right now. I don't need nothing from you but a deposit. That's all I need. That's all I need. Listen, the sweet baby Jesus, he be coming through. That's that's all I have to say. And I was telling a friend of mine because I was kicking and screaming about me moving this large amount out of my savings because my goal is to not have credit card debt riding, right? I had enough student loan debt. I said, I'm not going to ride credit card debt this year. I'm just going to pay it off, right? So I just moved a chunk to my savings. But when I tell you that that chunk just got replaced today by that chip, okay? Listen, and then, you know, when you move in a chunk of money, you start wishy-washing like, should I pay these tithes? Should I pay them late? What should I do, right? I said, oh, no, I can't do that. I, me and the Lord have a track record with tithes. Every time I have paid my tithes, especially when there was like a, a budget struggle. And I, no, I didn't have a budget struggle now, but I knew like I got paid a little extra for Indy. Like that's going to be a big chunk of tithes, right? Every time I go ahead and do that on a Friday, y'all, I don't know what it is, but that next week, he'd be like, there you go, tenfold. I swear for God, it happens every single time. If I didn't want to holler when I got up out that car, when I walked up out that bank today, listen, nothing is bad. Nothing is bad. This year has set it off. I got my health. I got my clear mind and body, okay? And financially, it's a good year. It's a good year. Listen, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for the reader to come to the next episode. I'm ready for it. Y'all get primed for it. Get primed for it because I can't wait to see what she say about me. Because can't nothing tell me I'm going to have a bad year. I'm going to have a fantastic year. I'm here for it. I'm going to just be happy for you because I believe that when the Lord start blessing over here, then he going to bless over here too. Because, you know, I got I still got $13,000 worth of student loans that I need them to forgive. And I don't work for no nonprofit. But let me tell you something. <sighs> I just need them to forgive. I just need them to forgive my student loans. I the amount of money that I've paid in student loans, I could have bought three, four houses. Like it's insane to me. And to be very honest with you, I got out of school in 2006, and I have literally, I'm 40 years old now. I literally have been paying student loans consistently through the pandemic when you didn't have to pay. Through the pandemic, have been paying student loans consistently. I got, and the crazy part about the whole thing is. I worked diligently to pay off my private student loans because I didn't want them. And, you know, private student loans are, 
are wild, right? Like you don't know what's about to come. Like there would be months when I would look in the mail and I would be like, uh, I don't know what I'm about to do with this because I don't have this kind of money. Like, and they don't care. They will just keep incur interest after interest. And you're like, well, I'm never going to pay this off. And it made me think of this because I was having a conversation with a lawyer and she was like, oh, I have almost a half a million dollars worth of student loans. Now she's degree after degree after degree, right? And she's like, I have almost a half a million dollars worth of student loans. And she's like, I'm never going to pay them. She says, I'm going to wait until I'm sick. I think she says 66. She's going to file for bankruptcy because at that point they can't, you know, whatever, whatever the rules are, I don't even remember. So don't start me to lying. But she was like, oh, I'm going to just wait because, you know, I'm going to just go be with Jesus with him. Because at that point, what, do you, what are you going to do? You got hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of student loans and you're not making that kind of money. Yeah. Well, well, I will say, Johnny, most student loans do have life insurance. So that's one. So it's not like your family inherits that debt. I did find that out because I wanted to make sure that, like, my sister wasn't going to be coming. <laughs> They're not going to come after, like, her or whomever I'm married to. So that's one. Number two, if you have had more than 10 years of student loan repayment, you may need to do income-based repayment and do the SAVE program. Okay. A really good friend of mine named Nikki, shout out to Nikki. She does not work for a 501c3 organization, right? She works for a hotel chain who's obviously for profit, right? She opened her student loan account one day and it was just forgiven. Zero balance. She didn't request any public student loan forgiveness. She requested anything because remember Biden announced in December, if you've been paying your loans for 10 years and you're on the save program, they were going back and forgiving student loans. So Janine, go back and apply for income-driven repayment and do the SAVE program. It is guaranteed to be the income-driven payment program with the lowest interest rate. And there's none of that 501c3s. Like if you've been paying for 10 years, they're going back and forgiving some student loans. So go back and do that because she definitely does not work for a 501c3. She'd been paying her student loans for more than 10 years and she opened like she didn't even know about this. She opened her account to go and pay her next month loan and had a negative balance. She got mailed a check back for the last payment that she made. Okay. So go do it. And I do believe that when everybody else around you starts getting less, it's like you get excited for them because you know, like it's coming your way. My friend that also had $500,000 of student loans that were forgiven told me go and apply because they're counting payments they didn't count before. They're counting all those last things. Go back and apply, apply for the SAVE program and do public service loan forgiveness because you're working for a 501c3 now. Just do it. And I said, well, they announced $10,000 forgiveness or $20,000 forgiveness for couples, but only if you made less than $120,000. She said, I'm telling you, just do it. Because what's the worst they can say is no. And you continue your student loan payments. So I, I, so I did it. It knocked my payments down to less than 10 payments left. I said, oh Lord, I can do that because by the end of 2024, I'm going to be forgiven. I'll be debt free, right? I told a friend about it. She went back and then she was overpayment by 20 payments. She got her student loans forgiven, got a check back in the mail. She told a friend who got their student loans forgiven, got a check back in the mail. I literally started calling every person I went to medical school with and said, listen, if you haven't done this, do the SAVE program. I called my sister who's in education. I said, do the SAVE program because they're counting things they did not ordinarily count and it's not publicly advertised. 
Yes, the $10,000 forgiveness and $20,000 forgiveness for people that made $120 or less if you're single, $240 or, or less if you are a couple, that was advertised, but they didn't really break down the, hey, if you've been in repayment for this long, because that was announced in December, we are taking special consideration into this thing and we're going to forgive another chunk of people, uh, people's student loans. So I'm telling you, what's the best that could happen is that your $13,000 may be forgiven, Johnny, because to your point, you've been paying since 2006. So um, report back next month. That's all I have to say. You can't see it. I'm literally on here right now. Like, oh, how do I do save program? Federal student aid. Got it. Don't you don't have to tell me twice. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna be staying. Come by here, my lord. Come by, cause I need I need some I need some money. You know, let me tell you, mortgage is expensive. Listen, it is. But I'm I'm telling y'all, if you're listening and you have student loans, even if you're not working for a not for profit or a nonprofit, just go because at least you can lower your student loan. Debt, and since this man is trying to really do some things before this election, and he's saying it doesn't matter if you've been in repayment for more than 10 years, we're going to forgive some of those loans and we're going to count some of those payments. What is what what can happen besides them telling you no? Go and apply. Well, anyway. I don't apply, I'm applying now because let me tell you. I I just need I just need it to be what it what it's gonna be, because this was interesting. I I didn't even know about the same program, but now I do, and I'm gonna get my student loans repaid. I'm just speaking into existence, cause speak it, cause you've been paying more. You've been paying almost twenty years. I have. You're probably have. in that list of people that would have gotten along. And I feel like people like Biden do nothing. Listen, he, he don't have to do. You know how they say the Lord don't have to bless me. No, no other kind of way. He Hello. Don't have to do nothing else for me. Listen, Biden don't have to do nothing else for me. The government don't have to do nothing else for me. I can take it from here. I didn't got my student loan forgiven. And that's like people don't understand how much, you know, black and brown people don't have the dowries and the you know, uh, college funds and all this that can be passed down to fund this. So a lot of us are first or either second generation college students. And so we're having to front our own cost of education. But the only way to, you know, get out of poverty or breaking this cycle of poverty is to get you some education. And unfortunately, education costs money. It's, it's an investment. We're not to the point in this country well, education is free, right? We have to invest money. And and when you finish, you're in like eons of debt and you have your, your Caucasian counterparts that are finishing jobs, debt-free, going off, buying houses and traveling. And then meanwhile, black and brown people are still living check to check because we are paying student mm -hmm. loans off. It is, you know, the, the equity there, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm still waiting for the 20 acres and a mule and it's still hasn't been given it to us. We are not on an equal playing field and nobody realizes this. So when we have candidates like Nikki Haley saying things like, oh, our ancestors were, were not ill-intentioned. This country was not founded on slavery. I don't believe that the constitution was written um, 
like considering slavery because all men were created equal. I'm like, did she not forget we were three fifths of a person at one point? So this is this is what we're talking about in this country. Like people don't get it. People think, oh, everybody's equal now. No, everybody is not on equal playing fields. Well, there's a whole nother episode we can get on that later. We are not on equal playing field, okay? If you are black in this country and you are a homeowner, that is an accomplishment. Amen. That is an accomplishment. Did nobody, daddy, buy you a house for your wedding gift, okay? Mm -mm. This is not, we do not have the same level of backing behind us. And it's no knock to our parents. They didn't have the level of backing. They were doing what they needed to do to get ahead. So we have to do what we need to do to get ahead. And one thing is at least starting us out with no debt. At least have us get an education and start with no debt. And this is a way for us to say, hey, this student loan payment I will be made, I can now swing over to Harrison's College Fund so that he does not have to deal with the burden that I had to deal with. And all these other people who had their loans forgiven can now say, now I have money to save and invest in a home so that I'm not renting something that I can't get a tax break later on from. Because let me tell you, being a homeowner versus renting people like I'd rather rent than I own a home. You're crazy because you don't have a tax write-off from renting. You're not getting any tax, any money back from renting. Okay. You're just giving money, giving money, giving money. You get nothing back. You can't sell anything and make a profit. Okay. That is silly talk. Somebody's brainwashed you to think that that's okay. And it's not okay. So at least we can do something to now invest and at least, you know, um, a roof over our kids' heads, something that can be passed, paid off and passed down from generation to generation. Now, they still got to pay the property taxes on that thing. But at least the home itself is paid for, right? And then you can get money to say, you know, my mortgage is cheaper than my rent would be over here, okay? Then I can put money towards my children and their educational investment so that they don't have debt. I mean, starting off your adult life debt-free is the way that Caucasian people propel their children in a way that we don't do. That's how they can afford to put their kids in private school without having to budget and move stuff around. And they're doing stuff that makes way less money than us, but they have way more wealth than us. Just, I'm just saying. But anyway, I digress, Janine. How's your week been? It's it's leveling the playing field. That's what it is, right? Like we start off way back, 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 back at the other end zone, and we're now starting in the same the same space. Well, at least closer to the same space. Because I don't want to say that we're starting at the same space because we have other challenges that we have to face as as black and brown people. But I'm just saying, like for me, this is the thing, and I just I just signed up for the program. So we shall see. I'm gonna pray to the good Lord. And I am a faithful tithe payer, so I'm gonna pray to the good Lord that He forgives my student loans too. Because you know that's a thing. Like you know what I could do with thirteen thousand dollars that I don't have to pay back to Uncle Sam that I already. Let's be very clear. To your point, Nicole, I've already paid this money back. I'm now just paying extra money that you want for me, and it's on top of interest because regular interest I would have been done paying. It's it's crazy. <sighs> So to answer your question about my week, my week was, it's been great. So this past weekend, I went to hang out with some of my friends from Philadelphia when I lived in Philadelphia and we went to New York and it was great. I hung out with them. 
But you know, Nicole, have you ever been in a situation where you realize that like you love your friends and they're great and they're wonderful, love them to death. Like these are my like, like any, I would do anything for these friends, right? But like, you just realize that you're in a different place than they are. And the conversation is kind of not awkward, but it's like, okay, like I really need to sit and think and evaluate some things because it it very much felt like, you know, we needed to reconnect, but we need to reconnect. And I needed to, I don't want to say figure out how I could, how I could connect with them differently, but it's just, we're in different spaces. I'm the only one that doesn't have kids. Um, one of my friends has a grandchild and it's very, it's just different. Like I feel, I don't feel like I'm behind the eight ball. It just feels like I live a very different life. And yeah, it was interesting. I think it's the first time that I've ever actually felt like that in my life. And yeah, but it was great. I love them and I had a great time. Um, yeah. What else did I do this week? Today I went to a very interesting event. It was called the Book of Lists and it's actually run by the Washington Business Journal. I was invited because if you all recall, when I was in my, uh, in the summertime, I was one of the Washington Business Journal 40 under 40. So they invited me to the Book of Lists, which is kind of like all of the businesses that are, you know, movers and shakers in, in the DC area. Um, and interestingly enough, I reconnected with someone that I went to high school with and I was like, Hey, like we haven't seen, literally I have not seen her since high school and it was great. And ironically enough, Nicole, we ended up talking about you because she runs a nonprofit for, um, maternal health that focuses on genetics. And I was like, Oh, so I have a friend that she's a maternal fetal medicine specialist. And she was like, Oh my goodness, we need to connect. So I will send you her info so y'all can connect. Cause she runs a nonprofit that, that helps, um, women with their their health specifically based on their genetics so yeah it's been great reconnecting I think is the theme of this week I try to like figure out what how my weeks are and like what where my mindset is and I think that this this week has been a a theme of reconnecting so that's where we are well, that sounds amazing with this uh, health based on your genetics, sort of like a 23andMe profile, how they tell you like, hey, you are predisposed to have uh, myopathy or you are predisposed to have vision, you know, visual impairment. Like I have 23andMe and I, I'm amazed at it. I'm always like, hmm, you know, these are the things I need to be screening. Like, let me go ahead and get that vision insurance <laughs> because I want to need glasses, you know. Uh, that kind of thing. But I'm amazed at how, you know, biogenetics and how, not amazed how accurate it is because it's our genes, right? But how, uh, how much knowledge we've acquired from, from it and how it can really help shape preventative care going forward if people would actually listen to it, right? So if you know you're predisposed to this, listen to it. But there are some things that we know we're predisposed to, Janine, and we still don't care, right? If big mama got diabetes and granddaddy got diabetes and, and auntie Susie got diabetes, then guess what? You are predisposed to get diabetes. So we need to take heed and, and alter our habits now, right? We need to go ahead and incorporate that 30 minutes of aerobic exercise five days a week. And we need to make sure we're eating green leafy vegetables and we need to not eat red meat. This is not a secret. Do we still eat the red meat? Yes. Yes. We love a steak. Um, do we still eat fried food? Yes. We love fried chicken. Do we still eat the chocolate cake? Yes. Two pieces, please. And we know that we're predisposed. So if we actually listen to it, 
And, and the clues are the people around us and what they have and what age they got it. And so if you want to fight getting those things, you have to do something different than they did. But I digress. But I, I think that that company is amazing. Yeah, she she had a, a very interesting run. And I actually just looked it up. But basically, she left Genetic Alliance and I guess took the knowledge that she had from Genetic Alliance and started her own nonprofit. So super dope. All right, Jenny. So what is on our timeline today? Okay, Nicole. So we started this episode off by talking about how good the Lord is. So we're just going to continue and it's going to be a little religious. So for those of you all who like to inbox us about how Christian we are, we're not going to apologize for being Christian. Okay. We're not going to do that. We're not super religious, regardless of what you all may think. We are not. We are very spiritual, but we're not religious. And we're not going to apologize for our beliefs. So we are sorry that you are feeling some kind of way, but we're going to continue along this path. So this week, Nicole, we're going to go a little bit of a different direction, right? So we generally talk about relationships, relationships with our spouses, our significant others, our relationship with our friends, our coworkers. We've even talked about our relationships with our children, right? Well, with your children, but you get my point. Like, I don't have them yet. If I had them, we've talked about that. But we don't often really discuss our relationship with our parents. Like, we've dibbled and dabbled in it. First couple of episodes, we talked about our relationship with our parent-in-laws, but not really our parents. So guess what we're going to discuss today? We're going to discuss our relationships as grown adults with our parents. So it's a little nuanced relationship, if, if I may say. You know, the relationship that you have as a grown adult with your parents is just different. Like all of your life, you are training to be a good child to your parents, right? And then kind of along somewhere where you start mastering it, you're now an adult and you have to start this whole process over because you have to figure out what it's like to be an adult child of a parent, right? It's very different than being a minor child of a parent, right? So this week's timeline topic was inspired by Tara Brody and she's a Christian counselor and she has a podcast and the podcast is called God in Therapy, which, you know, we are all about that. That was one of our first season one episodes with Dr. Macklin. And we talked about you can have God and a therapist at the same time. I really want us to get out of this habit of thinking like, oh, well, you know, we could just pray things away. Yeah, you can pray, but you also have to do the work. You know, the Bible says faith without works is dead. So Pray and get you a therapist at the same time. And this is what she does, right? Like she brings the Christianity and the Christian beliefs to therapy. So in this particular clip, Nicole, she addresses parents specifically. She addresses the parents. But this is something that we all should listen to because we're all grown, right? And if you're a child, listen to it because you will be grown one day and you will be the grown child of an adult, you know, of a parent who thinks that they should be telling you exactly what you need to do every waking moment of your life, right? So she addresses the parents in this particular clip of grown children. And it seems there's been some confusion as to what the role of the parent is when your child gets grown. So here's what she says. Grown baby is not a child anymore, okay? So they don't have to obey you. That is not connected to their honor and esteeming you that they obey you anymore. The 
because they're not a child. It says children obey. But that 37-year-old need to be able to just live in God. As God leads them, they need to be able to govern their life. And don't get me started if they're married, because then I have to hit you with the leave and the cleave. You are out of order. And these children are coming to therapy struggling with it. Because they're like, my mama not talking to me because I didn't do something she told me to do. My daddy ain't talking to me because I didn't do something what he told me to do. And they're struggling because in their mind, in their heart, in their spirit, they know that God is leading them to do something. And they're having to fight you. And you are judging their love and honor of you based upon them obeying you. And that's a problem. That is wrong. God would not have put these scriptures in the Bible if he didn't know the nature of parents. Now, I'm sure that if you were raised like me, in a Christian household with God-fearing parents or in a Christian household otherwise, or even not in a Christian household, right? At some point, you've heard someone quote Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, right? It's the children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And it says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And then it says, so that you may go what it basically says so that your days may be long now i was gonna say what the the scripture actually says but basically it says honor your father and your mother so the days may be long on this earth right depending on what version of the bible you read that's what it says right so i would venture to say that if you're listening to this podcast you've probably been quoted that scripture you heard that scripture you can probably quote it like i just did and not actually reading it off the paper that's just, it's inherent in our nature and being raised as a black, in a black household. Your parents told you, honor them so your days may be long. That actually came out the Bible. It's real. It's a promise, right? But our parents, I feel like they told us this so that they could keep us in line as young people, right? It kept us in line. It made us respectful. It gave us some discipline. It made us mannerable. I mean, all of the things that you want your child to be, that scripture pretty much encompasses how you're supposed to act. You're supposed to listen to what your parents have to say. You're supposed to obey them. You're supposed to listen. You're supposed to honor. You're supposed to do what it is that they say because it's their responsibility to nurture your soul. Here's the thing. Those scriptures gave us a level of respect and a level of fear and not just our parents, but in God that it almost is to a fault. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a fear in God and fear in our parents, but to a fault where when we grew up, we still have the same fear. We carry the same idea of honoring our mother and father. And I'm not saying we should dishonor them, but obeying them into adulthood. But here's what I, I, I would like to say. There's another part of the scripture. If we go to Ephesians 6 and 4, there's another portion of the scripture. And that portion of the scripture says, I would venture to say it's much less known, but I would think that some people knew it. That portion of the scripture says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So that part is important to me, right? It's important because it also goes along with Proverbs 22 and 6. Proverbs 22 and 6 is what everybody says. Train up a child and the way they should go. And when they get old, they should not depart from it. So the job of the parent is to train the child, to not provoke them to anger, 
and bring them up in discipline and instruction in the Lord. You know, the reason why we bring them up in discipline and instruction in the Lord so that when they become grown and it's their responsibility to be the person that is responsible for their salvation they know what direction to go in. This, this, see, this is the thing. We think that, that it, the first part is the important part where it says honor your father and your mother, which is important, right? It's, it's what we're supposed to do and it has a promise attached to it. But to Tara's point, train them, raise them up, in discipline and instruction so that when they're grown, they can continue to follow the instructions, not of you and obey you, but follow that instructions of the Lord. That's the point. The point is not for them to follow you because you're human. You will fail. You will disappoint. It's natural. You will make decisions based on how you feel, based on your humanity. That's not who we're supposed to be following. I don't see any place in the Bible where it says that you're supposed to follow your parents. It doesn't say any of that. What it says is you're supposed to follow the Lord. The parent's job is to teach the child which way they're supposed to be going and leading and guiding them in the right direction. That is the parent's job. And if they do that, then when they're grown, the parent's job is done. No? So the goal here, is for grown parents, like, you know, once your children get grown, is that you can rest on what you, on the way that you've raised them. You can rest on how you brought them up. You can rest on those things because now it's no longer your relationship with them. It's what they're now supposed to rely on is their relationship with God. And they are supposed to now obey God. They're no longer the responsibility of you and they're no longer required to obey you. And I think that's where these parents have it a little bit twisted. It's not their job. It's not their job. And by their children's job to do what parents say anymore when they're grown. Once you hit 18 and you can make decisions for yourself and you're taking care of yourself, you still need to honor and respect your parents but you no longer have to obey them. You no longer have to jump to their every beck and call or whatever they think or however they feel. You should, you should run and regulate your life. That's not their job anymore. It's now your job to run and regulate your life based on your relationship with God, not your parents' direction. Let, let me go back to that part. It's no longer your parents' responsibility. And I'm talking to the grown children. It's no longer your parents' responsibility to, to guide you and direct you. They did that. It's now your responsibility to take guidance from the Lord. Good counsel even. But you don't have to obey your parents anymore. And I know it's prob people are probably going to email us, Nicole, and say, Oh, you obey your parents and you respect and that's part of honoring them. Mm -mm. Read what it says. That's not what it says. It's now your responsibility for your own soul salvation. It's no longer a responsibility of your parent. You as a parent of a grown child have to let your child figure out their path 
and what they need to do. If you're constantly there telling them what to do and they're obeying you, that's your life, not theirs. You need to let your, stop enabling them. And I know people are probably going to feel some kind of way about us, but stop enabling your grown children. Stop telling them what to do. Stop navigating life for them. That's not your responsibility. You did your part. You are, you know, Nicole, I've seen, and you and I both have seen fully grown married people who are having problems in their marriages because they're still obeying their parents. We have mamas who won't let go of their sons and we have daddies that won't let go of their daughters. And we have mamas that are running a, a whole nother generation of household because they want things done the way that they want it done. And let's not step on the women, ladies. And if, if, you know, as Nicole says, a hit dog will holler. I'm not trying to point anyone out, but we have women out here who are so busy obeying their mommy and their daddy, but they can't submit to their husband and wonder why they're having problems in their relationship because you're not doing it the right way. You hear when Tara said, leave and cleave, that's real. The Bible says that. You're supposed to leave your parents' household Start your own household and cleave to your house. That's that you are not reinventing your parents' household. So I'd read this book, Nicole, and it was called, and I actually really highly recommend it. If you haven't read it, it and even if you don't feel like you need the book, it's a very, very good read. And it's called The Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. And it's not calling your parents emotionally immature. It's saying that, you know, we're in a different generation and the way that they matured is different than the way that we are operating these days, right? And so reading that helped me understand that like the way that my parents saw things and the way that parents of generations prior to me saw things is very different than the way that we see things, right? And really it just gives you some tools of how to navigate those, the changes, the generational changes, right? But I would want... If you're listening, read it. It's a quick read. If you don't want to, if you don't have time to read, listen to it in the car. Turn this podcast off when you finish listening to this episode and, and listen to it in the car on your way to and fro, right? But I think that we all need to take a, a moment and realize that just like it's, you know, they have a book that says like, you know, what to expect when you're expecting. It gives you some like guidelines of how to raise a child. There's no such thing as an adult, right? We're all navigating this. We're all trying to figure out what this is supposed to be like. But what we do know is that your life and your actions are your responsibility when you know better and you're grown enough to take accountability for your actions. It's no longer your parents' responsibility. And to the parents of grown children, it is no longer your responsibility to direct your children and to have them or force them to obey you because it's past that point. You've laid the seeds. You've planted the seeds, right? It's now time to watch your children grow. And once they grow, you just have to trust that you've trained them up in the right way and they will continue along the path that you've trained them in. But they don't got to obey you. Let's, 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 let me say that one more time. You should obey the Lord. As a grown person, you should obey the Lord. If your parents are obeying God and you are obeying God, then everything really should align and there shouldn't be any confusion. But obeying your parents kind of ends when you become grown. Just my opinion. What do you think, Nicole? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, 
just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So I completely agree. I think you broke that down rather well. And I think that, um, what's the name of the book that you, you said again? Let's mention it. For me and for the people. <laughs> it's called Adult, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. You know, um, let that sink in, y'all. I mean, I feel like there are people that are my age that have adult children that should also listen to that because they may have been the children of emotionally immature parents, but they've also now become also their emotionally immature parents. And so the cycle continues, right? And there's something about allowing and trusting yourself enough to know if what you've done is not good enough, then it's too late, right? So whatever you've done is what they're going to go off of, right? You have to pray that what you've done is enough to allow them to flourish. Because guess what? They're, they are going to have to do what it is they need to do in order to figure out their, their space in this world. And they're also going to have to do what they have to do to be adults. And adulting is a lot of trial and error. Some of us say, you know what? I see their trials and errors, so I'm not going to do it that way. Others of us say, well, they did it, but that's just because they did it. So I'm going to do it, and it's not going to happen to me. And it's not until they do it that they realize that, okay, if everybody does it this way, then this is what's going to happen, right? So some people are okay looking at the example and then learning from someone else's example. Other people need their own example. Some people have to fall on their faces before they learn which way to go, okay, in order to, for them not to fall on their faces. So, so it's, it's trial and error, whether you're witnessing the, the error and list, looking at how it turns out or whether you're doing the error yourself. And you would hope that you're exposing them to enough where they would see things enough where they would have their own experiences um, in their adolescent years and in their teen years so that they've lived through some of the trials and tribulations so that when they become adults, they will then take steps in the right direction. But even that right direction, quote unquote, is still unnavigated territory. And you're going to, yes, help them think through before they make the decisions, but you still have to allow them to make their own decisions, right? And then when they get married, you have to realize that they are married. You're not married. You can't tell them how to treat their spouses. You can't tell them what to what to do to be a husband or a wife, especially, and no not, if you've never been a husband or a wife, okay? If you've gotten a divorce, you can't tell them how to keep their marriage together. Perhaps if you've gotten divorced, you can tell them the things to avoid to get a divorce and you can give them some motherly or fatherly guidance. 
but you still can't tell them to do certain things or make them do certain things. And you definitely can't micromanage their lives. You can't do it. As parents, you have to eventually take a step back and allow them to be the adults that you've raised them to be. Trust yourself. Trust yourself enough to let go and let them be the humans that they're going to be. And some of it will be they're independent. They're on their own. The lights got cut off. Let them have the lights get cut off. They will learn the value of a dollar and saving and planning. Let them sit in the dark. Let them have to take a sponge bath from bottled water a time or two. They will learn that they need to prioritize those bills because guess what? The light company don't care if you got the money or not. Let them learn how to be physically responsible on their own. Let them learn how to treat their spouse. Their spouse might have to curse them out, leave the house a couple times. They will learn, okay? And don't be interfering with the learning. You telling people what to do and how to do it, you causing riffraff in the relationship, you asking too many questions about what happened in the relationship, why she got an attitude with you, what she do, or you addressing the wife directly, or what you do to my son, da 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 da, or you know my son like to eat, whatever, whatever. What? Like, stay in your lane, okay? Stay in your lane. And that should be Bible. I think that's the, 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 New King James Version Part 2. Thou shalt stay in your lane, okay? And allow him to leave the cleave. That's what that interpretation says. But more of us need to, to learn more of this. And I think that as some, although my child is very little, it is something that you think about. Like, am I going to be taking the steps to make sure that he's prepared for adulthood? Is he going to be with somebody that treats him um, and cherishes him like I like I do. Is he going to feel loved? Is he going to have low self-esteem or is his self-esteem going to be okay? You do worry about those things. And you, you want to make sure that they have what they need, but they're not so spoiled that they're dependent on you. And you want to make sure that the people they're around, because those are going to be people they eventually date or the people that you like and approve of, right? So you want to expose them to certain people. But at the end of the day, you have to realize Whoever they choose to be with is their decision. Whatever they choose to be in this life is their decision. Whoever they choose to marry is their decision. Whatever job they choose to get is their decision. Whatever state or country they choose to move to is their decision. And just pray that they love you enough that they don't just lock you down and throw away the key in some nursing home. That's all, that's all I want, okay? Harrison to be a good person, be self-sufficient, Marry someone who loves him and his mama. And that while I'm in my right mind, I'm not stuck in a nursing home. That's it. That's all. And we should all be praying the same. But yes, Janine, I do agree with everything you have said. The leave the cleave thing is Bible. And that means that that child's allegiance is no longer to the parent once they get married. It is to their spouse, okay, not the parents. And that's a takeaway lesson from um, this timeline. I think that one of the things that I, that I wanted to say, and Nicole, I agree 100%. And I think one of the things that I wanted to point out is that we often, you know, as, as and I'm going to say black folk because I ain't never been on any other color. 
we often as black folk use scripture to keep people where we like to have them. Right. And oftentimes we, we, and I don't want to say often, but sometimes we use scripture to support our toxic behavior and that's not okay. You can, it's a hundred percent okay to understand that we make mistakes, but change it. Right. If you're the kind of parent that has been um, overbearing in some in some sense or you are have expected your child to obey you as an adult, just just keep that in mind. Like they don't have to obey you. And if they do, if they take your advice, then you, you should be honored that they're willing to take your advice, but they don't have to. And I think that, you know, oftentimes we forget that part. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with people who consult their parents by any stretch of the imagination, because they, you know, most parents have been there, done that and can give you great advice. So, so you don't have to have the same bumps and bruises that they do, but it's the ones that like to, to just tell you everything that you have to do and when you have to do it and when you wake up and what it's supposed to look like. And we understand, you understand your toxic behavior. We don't have to sit and read the Bible to you. We don't have to do that. We don't have to do this podcast. You know that your behavior is toxic. You know that. And don't, I would, I would admonish everyone that is listening to this. And and if you share it with someone, please, if there's somebody that you know that needs to hear this, please share it with them. But we don't, we don't have to support our toxic behavior with scripture because that's not what it, we know what the scripture meant. And if you don't know, get, ask for clarity. Don't just take the, take it as you feel it it should be and then subsequently torture your children with it. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Okay, we can move on now. We can move on. All right, Janine. So are you ready to read through some of these letters from our listeners? Let's do it. All right. So our first letter reads, Nicole and Janine, I feel like my mother-in-law thinks my husband is her man. My husband and I have been married now for six years. He's an only child. So I can get how she's used to him being her world, especially since her husband, who was his stepfather, passed away suddenly five years ago. Now she's over our house all the time, giving my husband basically what I consider equivalent to a honey-do list. Last year, she got a new boyfriend. I thought this would make things better. So I was excited when she invited us all over to dinner to meet him. But it hasn't helped at all. She uses her key to let herself into our house. She calls my husband even while he's at work to go run errands for her. And they are simple errands, like getting some bread from the store or picking up the dry cleaning. So maybe at first it wasn't a big deal. However, when my husband and I were hosting a dinner party and she called him six times in the middle of our couple's trivia, I was a little annoyed. She's called him while we were out to dinner asking him to come over to get stuff out of the attic when he told her he would do it by the next morning. She got really upset and started crying, saying that he didn't care about her. She calls frequently throughout the day, and I'm on the, and if I'm on the phone with him and he clicks over to let her know, I, he'll call her back. She gets an attitude. I've even been on the phone with him while he's been at her house and heard him say he needs to go do something for me with her following up saying, she can wait. I can see my husband is struggling with balancing me as a priority and his mother, but I don't think it should be this big of a struggle. I'm now 14 weeks pregnant and I pray this doesn't go on with her thinking she comes before our family. Ladies, how can I get my husband to put his mom in her place 
so that I won't become a single parent. Veronica M. Okay, Veronica, I'm going to say this. First of all, you're better than me because I would have been at this in the bud. Let me let me say this, right? When we got married, when we got married, the, the before we even, I, I would like to venture to say that this is not new behavior when you got married, right? But before we even got to the point of walking down the aisle, we would have had to put mother-in-law in her place. Not to be disrespectful, because we never want to be disrespectful. Not to be, you know, taking over, because, you know, you have to be, a, a relationship between a parent and a child is a very delicate relationship. You don't want to draw drive a wedge between your husband and his mother. But you do need to help your mother-in-law understand what her place is. And I think that the problem that I have with this is that you didn't nip it in the bud before you got pregnant because now she's just going to feel like she has the right to tell you, your husband and your soon to be child what to do, how to do it, when to do it. Right. And she's please know that if you don't nip this in the bud right this moment, she's going to tell you how to raise that child because she's already raised a kid. Right. And she's an expert because you haven't done this before. She's, she's going to feel entitled to tell you how you should raise and raise your child and run your household. So what we're going to do, because you said in the letter that your husband is struggling with this. You can tell that he's struggling with this. So let me tell you something. When my husband is struggling with something, it's typically because he doesn't have a plan, Right. Not because he doesn't want to want to fix it. Not because he is ignoring what it is that I'm saying. It's because he doesn't know how to fix it. He doesn't have a plan. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. So what you're going to do is you're going to devise a plan. And you are going to tell your husband and you're going to sit down and discuss it with him as if it's you, you all's idea that you came up with jointly. But you got to nip this in the bud before you go into labor. Let me reiterate this. You have to nip this in the bud before you go into labor. And the longer it takes you to nip this in the bud, the more likely that some of some remnants of this toxic behavior will continue into your child birthing. Right. And you don't want that because this is feeling like she's going to be in the room with your husband telling him what he's supposed to be doing and what he's not supposed to be doing. We can't have any of this. We have to tell her, mother-in-law, we love you. And we appreciate all that you've done. And we appreciate how close you are to your son and how well you raised such a great man, which is why I'm married to him. And he's going to be the father of our children. But he's mine now. I mean, you can make it lighthearted. I don't know how your mother-in-law's personality is. All you're telling us is that she's a little bit aggressive. Yeah, she's a little bit aggressive. But can we tell her like, hey, guess what? This one's mine. You did a great job, but it's time for you to let him go. And look. I'm not telling you you're going to have the best relationship with your mother after you have this conversation. I'm just telling you that the conversation is necessary. And as I said in the, the explaining of our timeline, if your mother-in-law is aligned with the Lord and you're aligned with the Lord, at some point the alignments will come together. So maybe she might not really know how toxic she's being. So maybe just illuminating it for her will help. It's a possibility that she knows exactly what she's doing. And let me tell you something. The easiest way to get people to get out of their toxic behavior or their habits 
is to stop allowing it. No, you, you're going to tell your husband, here's when I see the toxic behavior happen. And every single time you call it out, she calls and says that you can wait. You tell your husband, okay, if I'm waiting, guess what else is going to wait? Y'all know exactly what I mean. Let me tell you something. Men don't necessarily see things the way that we see them. And it's kind of like, this is going to sound bad and I'm not calling men dogs, but it's kind of like training a dog. If you don't address the behavior in the moment, they might not see it or understand how just how toxic it is out, outside of that moment, right? So the next time that your mother-in-law does something like that, like, oh no, she can wait. Oh no, 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 we're not waiting. This is not how this works. I'm not going to wait. So you can do what your mother that's asking you to do, or you can do what you're supposed to do. But there are consequences to your actions. And you have to start showing your husband the consequences. And you also have to start showing your mother-in-law the consequences. They'll stop. Or you'll be a single mom, as you said. But either way, you won't have peace of mind because what you don't have right now is peace of mind because this is stressing you out. And you don't need to be stressed out pregnant. So have a conversation with your husband, come up with a plan. And if that doesn't work, show the consequences of the action. Let me tell you something. Clearly your husband and you like to get it in, right? Because you're pregnant. I bet you one thing, if you tell him, hey, guess what? Since you want to keep running over to your mother's honeydew list every day, find whatever it is that you need over there. Don't come tapping me on the shoulder tonight. I promise you, he'll stop. He'll get the picture. He'll have a conversation with his mother. I promise. What do you think, Nicole? I feel like, uh, I don't know, I'm torn here because it sounds like he is trying to put her first, right? He is trying to put her first. He's saying, I got to go because my wife wants me to do something. Now, what she didn't say is what he did or said after she said, well, she can wait, or after she made some smart comment as if she became, she came before the wife, right? So, so I don't want to say that he needs to like, Oh, you gotta do X, Y, Z because it sounds like he probably is putting his mom in his place, in her place, but she's just not getting the hint. And I think that as a Southern person, you do, you do believe that you cannot, like almost like addressing your mom and putting your mom in place, almost like back talking, right? But I think as an adult, you have to get to the point of maturity to say, Hey, mom, can we have a conversation? And I think I, if I were her, I would encourage him to have a conversation with his mother in private because black women, when you talk, talk to them in front of other people, they get defensive and they start to think that, that you trying to, you, I know you ain't talking to me like that. No, let me talk to you in private. Okay. Hey, I'm trying to be the best husband I can possibly be. You're not allowing me to prioritize my wife and my family. And because of that, I can't be at your beck and call. You're my mom. And I'm always going to be here for you. But you have got to allow me to figure out how to be the best husband I can and the best father that I can. Because guess what? When that baby comes... You leave the cleave for sure. And I still believe that your partner in the marriage comes first. 
But that child is a helpless child that is going to need guidance and supervision and care. And your first priority at that point comes redirected. It is with your spouse, but to help your spouse care for, raise, and guide this child, okay? So I would, um, one, talk to my mom or encourage him to talk to his mother about boundaries and about, hey, this is what you're hindering me from doing. I just encourage him to be transparent and talk like an adult because she probably doesn't realize what she's hindering him from doing by him being at her beck and call. Number two, where is said boyfriend now? Okay. Can we do more couples dates? How about we schedule some date time between the wife and then the mom and her boyfriend? Let's do some things as a family together. Number three, I would encourage him to really put some boundaries in place and say, you know, how about we go visit your mom once a week? Maybe Wednesdays, every Wednesday you check in on her in the middle of the week. And then Sunday we can go over there as a couple after church, right? Put some boundaries on there. Put some office hours on there, okay? So that you understand that Wednesday he's going to be intentional of going over there. So that way you don't put your honey-do list on that Wednesday because he's going to go over there during his lunch or after work, okay? So if you have an emergency, obviously he's going to have to do it. But you can plan out your week in advance so that he has that structured time to go in and visit. So I would suggest that so that he can be intentional about it. Like, hey, let's just, why don't you just check on your mom every Wednesday? Tell her to be looking forward to going to lunch with you every Wednesday. And she probably would love that, right? You're taking time out of your schedule to go and have coffee with her in the morning or lunch with her at noon, or you're going to come by just y'all two to have dinner together, Okay. That, that structured time, that mother and son time, that is probably something that she's yearning because he may be going over there for 10, 15 minutes just to do whatever she's asking him to do. She's probably lonely. She probably doesn't have anything to look forward to except for being with her, her boyfriend who may be older, who may have some health problems, who may not be able to go out as frequently. And if she's older and she's retired, they may be on a fixed income and they can't do some of the things they, they want to do. So that structured time, that time, for both of them to look forward to bonding can be a fix for you, okay? Then you have the other days. And that can continue even when the child is there. And you can do the same with your family. Perhaps you can spend that time on Wednesdays. He goes to see his mom. On Wednesday, you go see your family. Making sure you have that structured time. And then there's a day of the week that you go and visit family as a couple, okay? That's what I would suggest to him as a way to not say, you only see your mom on Wednesdays, but say, hey, maybe your mom is yearning for attention. How about instead of popping up every couple, you know, every couple days, why don't you just say, let's see each other every Wednesday. Like that's your day. It's Wednesday. I'm going to get off work and I'm going to come over there for dinner. And you're going to tell her what you want to eat because she likes to cook for you. Okay. That would probably make your relationship better. It gives you some time to reflect and be with your people or on your own. <laughs> on your own. And it gives him some time, okay? When the baby gets there, maybe he can bring the baby with him to his mom's. So she can spend some time with her son and the grandchild. And that gives you a little bit of me time as well. Now, obviously, that's when your breast milk supplies come in and when, you know, your child can be out of the house a couple months 
you know, down the line, but whenever you're comfortable with your child leaving the house, then maybe that's some time for, for him to bond with a child and your mom to bond, his mom to bond with a child and you to have some, some you time without your parents. I mean, with your parents, or maybe he can bring the child over one week and you can bring the child to your parents the next week. Something to look forward to so that you can continue to increase those bonds as your parents are aging. Because guess what? We don't want to be the reason that your husband's not speaking to their parents, right? We don't want that to be the reason, but we do want to make sure that he understands that you and the family are the priority. His immediate family, the family that lives in his house, are the priority. And I think that talking to him and making those suggestions may be a better way to do that. Now, once you make those suggestions, if there are still things that are, those boundaries are not in place, then we got to sit down, right? Then we got some other counseling to do. What is the deeper root of this problem, right? Maybe we need to do some family counseling at that time, okay? But don't let your mother-in-law drive you away from your man. Listen, I'm a single mother now. This thing by yourself is hard and I have help, right? My mommy, it helps me every day, but it is still hard to be the primary parent, the primary breadwinner, the person that's taking care of all of said household bills, the person that's there for your child during their emotional struggles and during their time of growth. That is hard. And to also be the person that's for, there for yourself while you're going through and wondering why you're a single parent, right? So don't do that unless there's really a breakdown in communication and really something that he doesn't understand. But it sounds like he understands that his priority is you. It's just how to get his mother his mother aligned with that understanding. All right, Janine. So what does your letter read? So mine is about a mother-in-law too. This one says, Nicole and Janine, I have had enough of my mother-in-law. She is single-handedly ruining my household. While I know she means well, I just can't take it. Let me explain. My mother-in-law is an older Southern church mother. She cooks a certain way. She cleans a certain way. She runs her house a certain way. The problem is she is trying to run mine the same way. She tells my husband how I should do everything from cooking and cleaning to raising our children and even driving. She even calls and checks to verify that we are, quote unquote, taking her advice. On a few occasions when we don't take her advice, she makes my husband feel guilty. And and most times he gives in out of, quote unquote, out of obedience. I feel like we are living in my mother-in-law's home and recreating her family rather than creating a family of our own. Ladies, I love my husband, but I am truly at my wit's end. Please help, signed Sophia. So Sophia seems to have the same issue with her husband not having a lot of boundaries, but it seems like she's way more frustrated than, at least that's how it it read, that she's way more frustrated, because when you use the words wit's end, I'm having with him. To me, that means, listen, I'm about to get divorced. I'm about to walk out this thing. I don't like my mother-in-law and I have tried and tried and tried. Did she say that she, how she's tried? I, I missed that. No. So we need to know how you tried. Okay. What did you do before you got to the point 
of being at your wit's end, right? And I say that because some of us be saying that kind of stuff and some of us be saying we're divorced, we're getting divorced. And I don't think y'all realize how that's not really that cool, right? How long how long they've been married, Johnny? That didn't say either. She didn't give us you ain't giving us enough detail, Miss Just She didn't say anything, but she said that they have kids. That don't mean nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, nowadays people have three, four kids and then they get married ten years later. You're right. So so first of all, I want to remind you because I haven't heard anything as to why you're at your wit's end. I may be missing it, Johnny. But there's nothing in this letter that says exactly why you're at your wit's end. And I say that because some people be saying that, but I don't think you understand. You got kids. You about to be in the dating pool with kids. And you don't realize that the, the dating pool has like piss, pee, dead carcasses, like all kinds of stuff in it. So before you get to being at your wit's end, if you've talked to your husband already, then maybe you need to sit down and get some professional counseling, okay? I don't believe that anybody should actually get a divorce without some type of counseling. And if you're going to allow somebody that is not in your relationship, break up your relationship, you are doing yourself a disservice by getting counseling. And I don't care if that person is the mother-in-law. I don't care if it's the ex-wife. I don't care if it's the baby mama. It is not the person that you're in a relationship with. So think about it like this. You about to let a whole nother person let you lose your man, basically take your man. I'm just saying, you better get on the good foot because you chose to marry this person because they treated you right, right? So they treated you right at one time and now this other person is in here and you feel like they're not prioritizing you and they're overstepping their boundaries then we need to figure out as a team, because now you married your team, as a team, how do we address said person that is now encroaching upon our marriage, okay? Because a lot of people that are in your marriage and ruining your marriage don't even know they're ruining your marriage, okay? And it's it, it really is up to the person who is the child of said person to address it. I just don't think that it is the job of, the in-law of the person to address it. For example, if I'm married, I'm not going to address my mother-in-law. I feel like that's my husband's job to address the mother-in-law. But together, we need to come up with a plan. So I would say, come up with a game plan from your husband and make sure y'all are on the same page first. Because if she's, he's not on the same page, then y'all got some counseling to do before he can even address the mother, the mother-in-law, right? Before he can address his mother. So first, make sure he sees it's a problem. You're at your wit's end, so I know that he don't see it's a problem. So make sure you're addressing it with him. Y'all get on the same page. And then once y'all get on the same page, then you address it with the mother-in-law. But you, you, you've got to think, before you say you're at your wit's end, I need to know what happens. I need to know more than a, a couple of like, she just this generalized stuff, and now I'm at my wit's end. People be saying stuff. You ain't getting, you listen. You better figure out how to make it work while you are here with all these kids and you got a good man that just got a, a, a mama that's driving you insane. Listen, figure it out. Go to counseling. Figure out what, how to communicate. If, if she doesn't get on the good foot after he addresses it, then bring her to counseling too. 
so that she can understand that she is a problem in your relationship. And then, like we did with the last person, set up some clear boundaries of when you're going to be in and out of this person's life, when you're going to see them and how frequent you're going to see them. And guess what? You can block calls and you can unblock them. And I'm not telling you to block anybody in your family. I'm not telling you to do that. But sometimes you have to screen your calls and keep your peace. That's all I'm going to say about that piece. But I feel like I need more examples about this. Y'all need to see why this person's at their wits in quote unquote, because I think people get fed up. One thing happened. I'm at my wits end. No, you're not. You need to take a break. You need to walk away from this person and, and try again tomorrow. You're not at your wits end. This is not something that's habitual. And you had multiple kids by this person. You weren't at your wits end before. And this is not the first time this person has done whatever they, they have been doing. They've been doing it all these years over the course of multiple children. And now you're at your wits end. Well, you should have said something after the first child or before the first child. You should have said something then. Knock it down then. Don't wait until you're 10 years in and now you have a problem because that person will be like, I've been doing this. Why am I the problem all of a sudden now? So that's what happens when people try to avoid conflict, right? That's not an adult thing to do. Adults do not avoid conflict, right? Unless you don't have conflict. We talk through the conflict. We say, hey, I'm seeing this as something that may become an issue later on. Before it becomes an issue, I have to let you know I'm uncomfortable with it. Because this is where I see this going. So can we please do something to address this and change this now before it becomes a problem later on? When you let things fester and when you turn a blind eye and then years later, it's a big problem and it's blown up out of proportion, that person doesn't understand where you're coming from. Because it hasn't been a problem all these years. And now, guess what? I'm at my wit's end. No, you should have been at your wit's end before. Okay? I'm not saying it's too late to address it. But I'm saying you're going to have some explaining to do. You're going to have to really break down why you didn't communicate earlier. And you're going to have to make sure your husband understands, hey, I had a problem. You know, I was shy then. I didn't know how to tell you. I didn't think it was going to get this bad. But now it's bad. And I'm at the point where... I need to I need to be in a space that's not this chaotic. This 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 these little challenges are eating away at me. And somebody new that comes in may not see them as big challenges, but for me, it's eating away. So anything that's small, anything else is going to top me over the edge because it's built up and built up so much that I'm almost about to to top over the edge. You're going to have to explain that. You got some explaining to do. Because for somebody that is used to behaviors, they don't even understand, okay? I have been in a relationship with somebody that had a toxic family. And I was like, you're so used to this toxicity that you don't even understand that this is not normal. And so you're going to have some barriers to break down there with not only your, your mother-in-law, but also with your spouse. Because you've been silent for too long. Jenny, what you think? I don't think she's at her wit's end. And I'm going to tell you why. You have probably been going through this for a while, right? And it said that you, like, they, you take her advice or you and your husband take her advice, right? And you said in the rare occasion and the, on the few occasions is what you said, when you don't take her advice, she makes your husband feel guilty, 
Well, you know why she does that? Because you all have set this as a pattern. You allow her to tell you what to do and you take her advice. And as opposed to, and then you allow her to check up on you to make sure that she takes, that you take her advice. Y'all sound crazy. Cause it wouldn't be me. You're not calling my household every five minutes trying to figure out what I'm doing. I mean, I love you and all, but like, you know, the, the, and not that this is about me, but I'm so grateful because my mother-in-law is probably one of the most laid back, chillest people I've ever met in my entire life right like uh, you know she minds her business she does what she's supposed to do and she she call and check on it and whatever it is that Ken tells her I I don't know I I don't hear much fuss about anything right I think that we need to realize that like you know, we, it's very real that we teach people how to treat us. And if you've allowed your mother-in-law to run your household, it was, I'm assuming benefiting you in some way. I don't know how it was benefiting you, but it was benefiting you in some way because you allowed it to go on for this long. So you can't now turn around and say, Sophia, that you were at your wit's end. And I, and I'm saying this because you understand that it's not right and it's annoying and you've gotten to the point of it being annoying, but what is it that you're getting out of this that is causing you or has caused you to allow this to go on for so long? Nobody allows something like this to go on for a long period of time unless it is somehow benefiting them. Is she helping you all out? Is she telling you all what to do? Were you married young? Like Nicole said, you got to give us some more information here because it, what it sounds like is this no longer works for you. It doesn't sound like it never worked for you. It's sounding like this no longer works for you. At some point, this setup was the cat's meow. And now all of a sudden, when you got your footing and your household is stable, now you want to you know, pull up your big girl panties and say, I don't need my mother-in-law in my life anymore. That's not, that's not how this works. You have to retrain her how to be you and your husband. To Nicole's point, this is something that you need to address with your husband and your husband needs to address with your mother-in-law, right? And the fact that you would allow another person to come in between you and your husband, that's on you, dear. Nothing, not a mother-in-law, not a father-in-law not kids, nothing. Nothing should come between you and your husband and nothing should come between your husband, you and the Lord. If it ain't the Lord, I don't want to hear it. She'll be okay. Yeah, her feelings might be hurt. She might feel a little like she's not needed. But like you said that she's a, a, a older Southern church mother. Let me tell you something about people from the South who are in the church. They are very very set in their ways, right? And then let me tell you something about older people. As we get older, we struggle to maintain relevance, right? No one wants to be the like used has been person. No one wants to be that, right? No one wants to be the throwaway person. So maybe your mother-in-law is trying to maintain some relevance because she sees that her son has grown and has a family of his own. And she probably is maybe a little bit envious of what he's built, right? Maybe find another way to make her feel important and relevant rather than her running your household. I'm just saying, maybe have a conversation with her. But first have a conversation with your husband. And before you do any of that, 
I need you to evaluate what behavior have you and your husband exhibited that allows your mother-in-law to act in this manner. And I need you all to fix your behavior first before you go telling your mother-in-law what she can and can't do. Okay. Okay. Great advice, Janine. Very great advice. I'm, pro- I'm wondering if they're like 25. Right. I mean, it feels like that. Yeah. It feels like they probably needed some help at the beginning. And so the mother-in-law was like, if you get my money, you get my advice too. Cause a lot of people, I'm like that. If you, if you calling me asking me for money, you gonna get this advice that goes with this money I'm about to give you. Right. But at some point it sounds like it, they must've gotten on their feet. But again, we don't have that much information, which also leads me to believe that there's probably something else to the story. Right. So at some point, they probably got on their feet, and now she's like, I don't need you in my household anymore, but you can't just stop that because what you've trained her to do is trained her to run your household because there was a point, or it seems as though, we're making assumptions because you didn't give us this information, but it seems as though you needed her help, and you needed her advice, and you needed her guidance, and now that you don't need it, you want to push her off to the wayside. Well, she's still there, y'all. She's still there, so you're going to have to figure it out. And don't don't up and leave you. Don't make rash decisions based on something that can be changed with a with the basic conversation. That's all I'm saying. All right, Janine. So what did you learn new this week? Okay, so I got this from choosingtherapy.com and it's a it's a a therapy advocacy website. And it's eight it's nine tips on how to deal with an overbearing mother-in-law. And I pulled this because clearly it seems, and we're not gonna give mother-in-laws bad raps, but clearly it seems that Mothers are struggling more with their sons or letting go of their sons than fathers are struggling with letting go of their daughters. So first it says, number one, set boundaries. Number two, consider the reason behind her behavior. Number three, avoid her when possible. Now they're not saying avoid her altogether. It says avoid her when possible. Number four, maintain your self-respect. Number five, practice acceptance. Number six, stop trying to meet her expectations. Number seven, communicate with your partner. And I would say that that's the most important one because, you know, nobody is going to know your mother, your mother-in-law better than the person who she raised. And then number eight, it says, learn ways to predict her behaviors And number nine, it says reinforce the progress. Now, I'm not going to go through some other things, but this also gives us like, you know, some tips on not just how to deal with her, but like, you know, what what an overbearing mother-in-law may look like. So being able to identify what an overbearing mother-in-law looks like. So some signs of an overbearing mother-in-law and, you know, um, what the definition of an overbearing mother-in-law is. Cause I think that also sometimes we think that someone is being overbearing when they're trying to just help us. And sometimes when people give us their opinion one too many times, we think, Oh my goodness, you're being overbearing. You want me to do what you want me to do. Sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes they see you going down a slippery slope and they're trying to redirect you. But you know, I will, I will post these. So, so the other tips are how to deal with a, a overbearing mother-in-law and some signs that you have an overbearing mother-in-law. So very, very helpful, but, you know, keeps us, keeps us a little on the straight and narrow and keeps us in a position where we're supposed to be in as opposed to feeling like our mother-in-laws are ruin, ruining or running our household. What did you learn to do this week, Nicole? So there's a Huffington Post article 
which I'll have to post on Facebook, but um, it says that women who get along with their mother-in-laws actually have an increased probability of divorce by about 20%, okay? On the contrary, men who get along with their their in-laws have a, a decreased probability of divorce, okay? So I just thought it was very interesting that women, if you like your in-laws too much, then you may ha- you have a higher chance of getting divorced. I mean, I just thought that that was just like crazy. And the rationale was that they can't say no to their in-laws. That was the rationale behind that. But either way, I thought that was interesting. So, Janine, are you ready for the motivational moment? Let's do it. This motivational quote comes from an anonymous source, and it reads, If a mother disrespects her son's wife, then she doesn't respect her son. Now let that sink in, because how can she respect her son and not respect the decision he has made for his life, right? So if you're not a wife yet, make sure you are wife material so that you can earn the respect you deserve. Until we meet again, pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Bye. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh That's Deep BWC. Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a mean old lion media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.